One of the things I love about this time of year is graduations. I love graduations. I just think, uh, you know, the month of May and early part of June is an exciting time in our, in our country, in a lot of people's lives. Last Sunday, we celebrated all of our, all of our graduates. No, the Sunday before that, we celebrated all of our graduates two weeks ago. Um, and uh, I was just thinking about how, um, you know, graduations are a wonderful opportunity for people to go from one period in their life to another period. Kaylee and Josh just graduated from Olivet Nazarene University where uh, they, they spent four years of their life. And, um, and back when I was a, a district superintendent in Michigan, I got to be a part of that incredible university called Olivet. Um, when you become a district superintendent, you also become um, a, a trustee to one of our Nazarene universities. We have uh, seven universities across the country. And um, I was, because I was living in Michigan, I was part of the Olivet region. And so I never went to the school. I didn't send many kids to the school. But all of a sudden, I became a DS and I became a trustee of the school. Kind of weird, but that's what I was. And uh, so one of the things I got to do every year was to go and participate in the graduations. And um, I got to march in with all the trustees, with the presidents and all the mucky mucks, you know, the professors and all their stuff, you know. We, we lined up and we would sit. I, I sat on the, my first year, I sat on the stage right behind the podium. I mean, I could reach out and touch the president. I was so close. And I got to see firsthand every single student who got their, uh, who got their diploma. Here are some pictures. This is uh, Dr. John Bowling, who at the time was the president of Olivet Nazarene University. This was 2018. This is uh, a year. And uh, this was actually, um, I think, the baccalaureate service that was going on that year. And, um, and here's the three amigos from Michigan. That's me. Okay, I was, I was the selfie king of the world, so I took selfies all the time. And these two guys were the trustees from the Michigan district. So the three of us took a picture together. And then we were sitting, and my good friend Glenn Gardner, who is the, the DS of um, Eastern Michigan, we were sitting, this is, this is sitting in the chapel. You can see the pipe organ right here in the background. You know, we were sitting in the chapel where the graduation was going on, and we took a, took a selfie there. And and then, um, and then we watched our good friend Kevin Donnelly. Kevin used to call me the tall Kevin, and I called him the short Kevin. And Kevin received an honorary doctorate that day, and uh, we celebrated Kevin's uh, ministry and his life and his calling. And you can see, literally, these are all the diplomas. I'm sitting, like, right here, you know, like, right there. It was, like, pretty cool, you know. And so, so I've always enjoyed that, you know, but it would just being part of that every year and being part of that experience was great. This year, I was, I was keenly aware of um, commencement speakers, I mean, if you are a commencement speaker, you're somebody, you know, at least in the world's eyes, you know. You're either, you're either a movie star, a sports athlete, a politician, a CEO. You're somebody who's special, who's got something to say. And this year, all across the country, you know, there were, there were commencement speakers. By the way, I've been a commencement speaker one time. You know who I spoke to? Our eighth graders here at Olive Knowles Christian School. 
Rusty invited me to, to be the commencement speaker last year. And uh, it was such an honor, you know, to even to speak to our eighth graders, you know. So could I just say to all of our graduates here today, if you're a graduate of anything this year, would you stand up one time and let me give you a round of applause? Amen. God bless you. Bless you guys. Amen. Thank you. And uh, it's a great accomplishment and a great opportunity. Now, here's what I was thinking this week. What would it be like to have the Apostle Paul as a commencement speaker? I mean, can you imagine that the Apostle Paul was invited to the, to the University of Rome to speak the commencement message? To give the declaration to all of the graduates as they are moving on in life. We are in this series called Romans. The power of the gospel. And we've been looking at this book verse by verse. And today we find ourselves in chapter 3 verse 21. It is, a, it is what I call the constitution or the declaration or the, or the, or the theological treaty, treaty, treaty or theological kind of a, a description of the Christian faith. It is probably the most important book theologically in the entire Bible. Martin Luther called it the greatest book of the Bible. And today we're going to look at a passage of scripture which which I believe is foundational for all of us to understand what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. But can, I, can you imagine if Paul was speaking? I mean, the first three chapters of Romans was not really politically correct today. He probably would have been booed out of the stadium. It probably wasn't declared in any of the commencements across our country today. I mean, in our country, it's all about, you know, hey, find your mission, find your purpose, find your, just be yourself and do all you can for you, 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 you. And Paul says, the wrath of God is poured out upon mankind. And you talk about a contrast. Paul speaks to us in powerful, powerful words. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31 is our text today. Let's read it together. Let's stand out of, out of, out of uh, respect to God's word. And let's just take on these 10 verses of scripture this morning as we dig in. But now, verse 21, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Christ, I mean, excuse me, God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement. Through faith in His blood, He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance, he has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Could I just tell you, there's a mouthful. Okay? If you just read that with me for the first time in a long time, you're going, what in the world did he just say? I'm going to try to unpack it for you this morning. 
But then he goes on to say this in verse 27. He asks three questions. Where then is boasting? Is, it, is, it is excluded on what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is the God of, of the Jews only? Or is he, is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. God, thank you for your word today. Would you just speak to us, open our hearts, and help us to hear you today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let's dig in this morning because there's, there's this, this, this passage of Scripture, as I shared with you in my email from last night, is weighty. It's, it's, this, is, this is not baby food material here. This is meat and potatoes, okay? This is heavy duty. And in many respects, I wish I could sit down with, with groups of you and do a Bible study on it. To really dig in because there is so much here. We could take every word and every phrase and dig it into it. By the way, it's great to see you. Bless you. Amen. Rhonda. I knew I, the name was, I was like, all right, I just said that. I, I can't remember. Rhonda, great to have you back. Rhonda moved away a few months ago or it's been six months ago now. Yeah. Welcome home. Bless you. Amen. And um, praise the Lord. Hey, so, so three things I want you to see today. First of all, let's go back to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The scripture says, Paul said, this is the theme verse of Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then he says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Paul begins to lay out for us what he really wants to talk about in the very beginning of this letter. He wants to talk about this righteousness from God that is being revealed from heaven and that you receive by faith from first to last. And then in verse number 18, he jumps to another revelation and he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness, wickedness of men. And so, so we find in verse 17 the good news, and in verse 18 we find the bad news. And for the last three weeks, the last three messages of Romans, we've been talking about the bad news. We've been talking about how we are wicked, wicked people, and that we are sinners. And finally, in verse number 21, we get back to the good news that he talked about in verse number 17. It's like Paul took a break at verse 17 and then says, by the way, in order for you to really understand this righteousness, you got to understand your wickedness. you got to understand the desperation that you find yourself in. And so he goes on to describe in, in the th first three chapters of Romans at least portions of chapter 1 and all the way through chapter 3, he describes the righteousness that is demanded, but the sin that we are. 
And he talks about it in three different places. Now, you can go back and listen to these messages. They're all online if you haven't been following along with us. Or you've missed one. I would encourage you to do that. But he first of all talked to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are guilty. He said the wrath of God is being revealed because they suppress the truth. The truth of God that has been revealed to them. And that God eventually said, I'm going to give you over. I'm going to allow you not to believe. I'm going to allow you to do your own thing. I'm going to allow you to walk your own path. I'm going to allow you to go to the depths of sin. And there in the end of chapter 1, he lists the sinful list, which is not exhaustive, but it's the, it's the, it's the edification of the self over God. It's putting ourselves in God's place and saying, I worship me, not him. And he talks about that. And then in chapter 2, he begins to talk about the Jews are guilty. Remember, he talks about the Gentiles are guilty, the Jews are guilty. And he says, you Jewish folks, you are the ones who have received the law. You've received the revelation of God. You are God's chosen people that have been called, who he made a covenant with. But you have also been guilty because you have violated the law that I gave to you. You have violated the, the commandments. You have violated this relationship and you have gone your own way. And you are just as guilty as them. In other words, he's saying, for those of you who consider yourself religious, you are not righteous. Those of you who think you go, through, go to church and do all the right things and you think you're better than people who don't, you're not righteous. You're actually just as filthy as those who know nothing. And then he sums it all up, and Pastor, Pastor Brent did such a great job in this message. He says, the whole human race is guilty. The whole human race is guilty. Not only is the human race guilty of sin, in other words, guilty of violating the laws of God, violating their own conscience, putting themselves above God, but he says, you are also under the influence of sin. In other words, what dominates the human race is a sinful nature that tries to please itself. Sin, before you ever sin, is nothing more than an ego trip where you think you are exalted above all others and the world revolves around you. And you'll hear that in our world today. Do your own thing. Make your own way. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Just, do, just discover your life for you. And although there's a semblance of truth in that, there is also the edification of the human being above Almighty God. And so Paul declares here in chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, he says basically, human beings are wicked, they are sinful, they are bent on pleasing themselves. And that's where Paul leaves us. And then in verse number 21, he goes all the way back to Romans chapter 1, verse number 17, where he says, a righteousness of God is being revealed that is by faith. And here's where we begin our segment. Because from chapter 3, verse 21, all the way to the end of chapter 8, Paul now describes the good news. He has spent two and a half chapters talking about the bad news. And now, he says, there is good news. 
But you can't hear the good news unless you understand the bad news. And as I said in the very first message, some of us don't need anybody to tell us how bad we are. We already know it. And some of us who have grown up in the church who think that I'm pretty much a good person and then I accept Christ, as you begin to walk with Christ and you begin to walk with God, you discover there's something really wicked in you. And you might discover the wickedness even after you discovered the, the goodness of God. But either way, all of us have to recognize our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus. And that's what Paul says to us today. First of all, he says, you need to be rescued. You need to be rescued. Notice what he says in verse number 21. It's the first two words are key here. But now. But now. I mean, it's like, it's like Paul is saying, but now. In other words, there's a, there's a contrast between what was before and what is after. What was before Christ and what is after Christ? What is the age of the law, the age of the wrath of God, the age of, of turning your own ways, and this new age that's come in, which is the grace of God has been poured out upon all mankind. But now. I don't know about you, but all of us have a but now. Every one of us has a time in our life, a period in our life, a day in your life that you can look back and say, but now, but now I'm a Christian, but now I walk with Christ, but now I am a new person in Jesus. That could be your baptism. That could be the day you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That could be the day that you finally said, I'm done with sin. It's over. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I want all of God in his ways. Paul says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. You'll notice a couple of things here. I don't have a lot of time to describe it to you, but every phrase is important. He is going to begin to talk about this idea of a righteousness from God. What does it mean to be righteous before Almighty God? God is holy. He is without sin. He is pure. He is, he is holy other. And he says this righteousness which he demands of human beings and you fail at it, is now going to be given as a gift from Almighty God. A righteousness from God, apart from the law. In other words, you're not going to get this by being a religious person. You're not going to get this righteousness by trying to be, follow all the rules, do all the right things, become somebody who follows all the rituals. It's apart from that. But it has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, he says, this righteousness from God, this gift that God is going to give to us, has been talked about all throughout the Old Testament. 
From Genesis all the way through Malachi, God has referred to this new day, this new day, this new day. This day is coming. The Messiah is coming. He's going to come and rescue you. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you. God is going to intervene in human history. He is going to do something you can't do for yourself. And all of the prophets in the law have been talking about this, but now a righteousness from God for a long time. A lot of people, when they look at the Bible, they think the Old Testament is nothing but laws. No, the Old Testament is a lot about grace. He had a lot of grace in the Old Testament as well. But it is fully known in Jesus Christ. But now, he says. And so, three things I want you to see here. Three things. First of all, you stand, we stand guilty before the judge of the universe, but we find that he also stands beside us and is an advocate intent on finding a way to do justice while we're extending mercy. Imagine for a moment that you are standing in the heavenly courts and almighty God is the judge that sits on the, the big desk in front of you. And there is a trial that's going on about your crimes and your wickedness. The prosecutor makes the, makes the case. You are guilty of, let's say, first degree murder. You're guilty of lying. You're guilty of stealing. You're guilty of, 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 uh, of being deceptive. You're guilty of being jealous. You're guilty of what the whole host of other things that you're done. And you stand there before Almighty God and he's about ready to give you the wrath of God that's poured out upon you because you deserve it. But God loves you so much that his one and only son comes walking into that courtroom and says, I love him or her and I will, do, I will receive the punishment on myself let them go free. Jesus Christ today sits at the right hand of the Father as your great high priest. He sits there making intercession for you. He sits there as an advocate for you, speaking on your behalf. And he says that, that he stands beside us as an advocate intent on finding a way of, to do justice while extending mercy. How does he do justice? He gives your punishment to Jesus on a cross so that he can extend mercy to you. God had to find a way to satisfy his own justice in order to extend mercy to you. He could not just be like an old grandfather and say, oh, no big deal. You know, it's all right. I still love you. It's okay that you still do those things, but it's all right. God says, no, it's not all right. Because I am holy. And I cannot go against my nature. Holy love. We also stand hopeless as a slave under sin's dominion. But we find that our sovereign God has already acted to emancipate us. Praise God. We stand as slaves to sin. What, is, what do human beings do? We sin. We sin every day. We sin all the time. 
As, the, as, as Pastor Brent shared with us the last message, he talked about how we missed the mark. Remember the mark, the target? He had that big old bow and he did that, you know? And we can shoot the bow. The problem is we're shooting at the wrong target. And when we shoot at the wrong target as human beings, we hit the target right on every time because we're trying to please ourselves. God says, ah, you are hopeless. You are under sin's dominion. And you find yourself there, but God says, I have a way to set you free from that. And then we stand before God at the altar of God with nothing to offer. All of us. I know the camera's here. I'm going to walk down here, guys. Okay, I'm going to walk down here. So cameraman, help me out. I know the lighting. But imagine coming to the altar of God. You come to his altar. You come to worship him. What do you bring? I mean, what can you bring? In the Old Testament, they brought goats and birds. They brought animals that they did blood sacrifices for. And they would do that over and over and over and over and over again. But none of them cleansed the heart. None of them forgave them of sins. It was nothing but a picture of what Christ was going to do for them in the future. We come to the altar of God with really nothing to offer, but there we meet the God who in Jesus Christ has acted both as our priest and sacrifice to provide deliverance from sin's tyrannical rule in our lives. So when we come to God now, what do we pray in? The name of Jesus. You have nothing to offer. Please forgive me in the name of Jesus. Please set me free in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the power that sets us free. And so that's why we worship him. That's why we have communion. That's why we sing songs. That's why we go through all of the things we do in our worship because we focus on Christ. May he be lifted up. Because we have nothing else to offer. We are guilty. We are hopeless. We have nothing to offer. But in the middle of that, but now we have an advocate. But now we have a sovereign God who has acted and emancipated us. But now we have a priest and a sacrifice on our behalf. That's what Paul was trying to say. He says, but now a righteousness of God has been revealed. What is that righteousness of God? It's Jesus, your advocate, your high priest, the one who, said, who gave his life on your behalf. That's what the advocate is. The second thing I want you to see is you need to be justified by faith. You need to be justified by faith. Notice what he goes on to say. This righteousness from God. Now remember, he says, a righteousness has been revealed. Not by the law. It's been testified by the, by the prophets and by the law in the past. But this righteousness that has been revealed to us, that you receive by faith. He says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. 
For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I want you to see in this verse three universal things. Three universal things, okay? First of all, I want you to notice that this phrase, before I get there, this phrase in the very beginning where it says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In my studies, there are other versions that have studied this that think that a better translation of the NIV is through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, it is Jesus and his faithfulness and what God has done for us that allows us to have faith in him at all that saves us. Did you catch that? It's what Christ has done. God is the one who is faithful all the time. I don't know about you, but I'm faithful maybe 90% of the time. I'm seeking to be faithful 100% of the time. Amen? And so are you. But God, through Jesus Christ, has been faithful to us 100% of the time. And so when he says this righteousness from God comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who have faith in him. All who have faith in him is a better way to read that. And then he goes on to say there is no difference. And this is where he gets three universals. First of all, there is a universal need, sin abounds. He goes on to clarify. He goes back to really... Chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. Because he says, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He just wants to make it clear. He's only spent two and a half chapters making it clear. But he wants to make it clear again. To see the contrast. You're a sinner. There is no difference. It doesn't matter. Now catch this. If you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, yellow, or pink. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or you didn't grow up in the church. It doesn't matter what your last name is. Even Rhodes are sinners. Now that's a pretty big family in the the Olive Knowles Church family. But could I tell you, they come to the cross just like you do. Your name could be Trump. Your name could be Rockefeller. Your name could be whatever it is. And you could feel like, oh, I'm special. And what Paul says to us here is that there is no difference. All have sinned and fall woefully short of the glory of God. There is one thing that all human beings have in common. We're all sinners. It's universal. And therefore, sin abounds. Sin is great. Sin is prosperous. Sin is having a heyday in America today. A heyday in our world today. We could get into the gun debate if you want to. But could I just tell you? It all goes back to sin. Now... All right, let's go on. (laughs) There is also the universal offer. 
He spells it out in verses 22b and 23, but then he says there is a universal need and then there's a universal offer. Just as sin abounds, grace abounds. Notice what he says here. This is so cool. And there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely. <laughs> Isn't that good? Freely. It doesn't cost you anything. It costs God everything. Justified is a word that is used to say that you have been made righteous. You are justified by what? By his grace, his unmerited, his unearned love that is poured out on a cross through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. It is a universal offer. Just like you have universal sin, you have universal grace. The grace of God is available to all human beings equally. Amen? That means male or female, rich or poor, black, white, yellow, pink, whatever it is, Republican or Democrat, or libertarian, or whatever your affiliation is, whatever your, na your name is, whatever your heritage is, if you're an American, or if you're a Briton, or a Nigerian, it doesn't matter what your nationality is. The grace of God is available to all of us equally. It abounds. And as John says, where sin abounds, grace even abounds more. That's the good news. Amen? It is good news. But there is a word here, justified, that is very important. This is the first time in Romans that Paul uses the word justified. This is where we get the word justification. Justification. Justification is a doctrinal word, a theological word that helps us to understand what happens to us when we become a Christian. Justification. As one writer, Kenneth Grider, who was a, a great professor at Nazarene Theological Seminary, now retired, he said this, John Wesley observes that justification is pardoning of our sin now catch this. It is making us righteous before, just before God. It is only possible by an act of God through the atoning blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It is not something we do for ourselves. It is something God does for us. Wesley observes justification is not the denial of truth or of God deceiving us by calling us something we are not. Now catch this sentence for a moment. Justification is not God saying, well, I'm just going to overlook your sin. Justification is not, you know, I'm just going to cover it up. And, and you really are a sinner, and you really are unrighteous, and you really are dirty, but I'm just going to overlook it. That's not justification. Justification is when you receive by faith the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life. You actually become righteous before God through Christ because you put your faith in him. Rather, 
God recognizes the truth of what he has done for us through Jesus, through Christ. Amen. And so Paul begins to say, there is a radical change that happens. Something, something happens so miraculously that you get to stand in the court of God as a sinner and you get to receive his righteousness. He says you are not guilty because somebody else takes your penalty and you get to walk out the courtroom a free man or woman. Pardoned as if it never happened. Praise God. The third thing you want you to see is a universal means. The atonement. What is the means of becoming, of receiving the righteousness of God? What did God do? Here's what he says. Paul says this. God presented him. God presented God presented, God offered a solution to a problem that you and I created that we could not fix ourselves. God presents him, who is him? His son, Jesus Christ, as a what? As a sacrifice of atonement. What does the word atonement mean? At one moment. At one moment in time, but now, at one moment in time, Christ enters into human experience as fully human, but lived as a sinless human being and offers himself as a sacrifice on your behalf through faith in his blood. So how do you receive the righteousness of God? By Believing, putting your faith in his blood, which was his sacrifice of atonement. He did this. Why did he do it? He did this to demonstrate his justice. You know, for a long time, people thought, well, God, you blew it. I mean, really, you created human beings in your own image. You had a relationship with you. You put them in a garden. But you put the tree there. They violated your laws. The one and only law was don't touch the tree. The only thing. You can do anything else but don't touch the tree. The serpent comes along and deceives. Sin enters the human race. Violence, death, murder, Sexual immorality, all of those things start to rage the world. God is so furious that at one time he says to the the time of Noah, I'm even grieved that I even created human beings. What does God do? He brings his judgment and his wrath through the flood, but saves by his grace one family and two of all the animals. He starts all over again. What does man do again? Violates God's laws. So God then intercedes again and says, hey, I'm going to get a people. I'm going to call them the the Jewish people, the Israelites. They are going to be my people. I'm going to have a covenantal relation. I'm going to pour my spirit on them. I'm going to give them prophets. I'm going to give them the law. I'm going to develop. And they are going to be examples to the rest of the world of my incredible love for the entire creation. 
What do the Israelites do? They break the law. They intermarry. They violate God's laws. They take on other idols. They have other worship. They do their own thing. They go their own way. And God says, what am I going to do? He brings judgment on them. He brings judgment on them. He sends them into exile. Other nations come and bring God's judgment. He then brings them back home again. But they fail again and again. And God says, I got egg on my face. I look like a joke to the whole world. My creation that I raise, it'd be like raising your own kids and your kids to violate your laws, your values, your morals. And how do you feel when your children go the wrong way? You take it personally. You can't fix it. But God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son as a sacrifice to demonstrate his justice. He says, I can't just overlook sin because I'm a holy God and I said I would be a, they would be holy people. What am I going to do? There's only one thing left for God to do to send God to the earth. To present him as a, as, a, as a sacrifice. Because in his, now I love this word, you've got you to catch this word. It's not only one time in the scripture, his forbearance. For thousands of years, God did not judge the human race like he should have. You know what he should have done? You sin, you die. Boom. You sin, you die. Boom. The wages of sin is, but out of his grace, out of his forbearance, he has left sins committed beforehand unpunished. Why? Because God knew he was going to send the sacrifice. He was going to send the solution. He was going to send Jesus. So that you... And I could be righteous, pure, forgiven, filled with his grace and mercy. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You want to be pure before God? It starts by putting your faith in Christ. He is the one who makes it possible for you to stand before Almighty God. It's universal. Now, boy, I don't have time for this. Wow. Worship team, come, would you? I want you to catch this for a second. The word, this word right here, a sacrifice of atonement, is the Greek word hilasterion. This Greek word is translated in the NIV as a sacrifice of atonement. But in the King James Version, it's, it's translated propitiation. 
And in the RSV, it's translated expiation. Now, you might say, I don't even know what those words are. I don't have a clue. So in your notes today, I have given you definitions of this word and this word. Because this word and this word make up what this really means. Okay? Did you catch that? The NIV translates this word, this, because prior to the NIV, there was translators that were translating this word in two different ways, emphasizing two different ways that God deals with the atonement. And you'll notice it there. Come, worship team. Keep coming. Keep coming. Biblical, and I'm going to read this to you, so read it when you go home, okay? Biblical, biblical propitiation, biblical expiation. Read that and say, I wonder what the atonement really means for me. What does it mean for me? We're going to sing a song here in a moment. And the song is called, Thank You, Jesus. And as we sing this morning, here's my prayer. That if you need Jesus today, you'd make your way to the altar. Amen? You'd make your way to the altar. If you need to be justified today, if you need to be cleansed, if you need God's grace in your life, maybe you've been religious, but you've never, ever really allowed Christ to be the center of your life. Here's what I'm asking. Make your way to an altar where Jesus is there on your behalf and offer yourself to him and say, Lord, I need your grace. Jesus offers you that. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, thanks so much for this word today. Oh, we could spend another day on it, Lord. But thank you for teaching us some things today, showing us some things. So God, as we sing this closing song, Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, that needs Jesus, that needs the cross, that needs mercy, that needs an advocate, that needs to be justified through Jesus Christ, receiving the righteousness of God, I pray right now you'll give them the strength to step out and courage to believe and put their faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.